This morning we kind of begin a new sermon series together. We want to be looking for a few weeks just at God's church and how the early church was able to stick together through the ups and downs over the last several thousand years. And so today I want us to go back to the beginning of church and that would be the day of Pentecost. And on that day, Peter preached an incredible sermon in Jerusalem that, uh, that got followers of Jesus moving forward. And so we're going to hear that story today and hear about the, uh, the incredible community that was birthed by the Holy Spirit on that, uh, on that day so long ago. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along in the second chapter of Acts, and I'll be beginning in verse 36, which is toward the end of Peter's preaching. And this is what he concludes with. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me today? Lord Jesus, help, help me lift you up faithfully. Holy Spirit, come speak through my words. Let your presence be active here in signs and wonders and speaking to our hearts and lives and reminding us of the contagious community that is your body, the church. And Lord, help us continue to live as that faithful community in challenging days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter begins proclaiming the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection to the people who had just had him crucified 50 days earlier. And in the midst of this, he reminds them that Jesus is the one who saves us. God has made this Jesus Lord and Messiah, 
and so flee from the corrupt generation. Instead, repent, be baptized, trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin, and, uh, and find new life in the Holy Spirit. As Peter preaches these words, 3,000 people in Jerusalem decide that their words ring true, that Jesus is real, that he has conquered death, and they want to follow Christ too. And so with this opening sermon, um, we find a movement of God. We find a, a, a work of Jesus' followers, and we find the creation of the new community of the church in its infancy and the kind of things that community was and did that became the anchors, the pillars, uh, the, the meat of being a contagious community for years to come. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Uh, we want to be a living church. Church today, I fear, we're known more for our institution. We're known more for our rules. We're known more for uh, sort of our big buildings and all those kind of things. And what has gotten lost is the most important thing. What has gotten lost is we are fellow followers of Jesus. And we are to be a contagious community for a hungry and lost world. So many today, kind of like the, the Cheers show years ago when I grew up, watching uh, the whole gang of them there, right? They came together because they wanted a place where everybody could know your name and everybody would be glad you came. And if they can create that kind of contagious community in a bar then can't we in the church do so much better? Amen. And it's, it's needed so desperately today. So many people are hungry for community. They're hungry for relationships. They're hungry for life. They're hungry for a new way. And they often don't know where to go. They don't know where to find it. Um, you know, from the, from the despair of being by ourselves for a year and a half, two years through COVID, our culture is wrestling with loneliness. We're wrestling with depression. We're wrestling with anger and lostness and frustration. And oftentimes, a lot of that is connected to us missing out on real relationships. In some sense, we're more connected now than we've ever been on social media and all those other things. The problem is, is social media is ultimately kind of a facade, right? It's kind of a, you know, we put on our best face. The problem is with having your best face on is people don't see the real you. They don't know the real you. And so we see signs in our culture by the shootings and troubles and despair. We see all that is a culture that's hungry for real relationships, they're hungry for contagious community. And the problem is, is they've forgotten to see that that component, the natural place to find it, is in the church. Is in the church, is in places like Sunday school class, is in places like our connect groups, is in places like our worship together and our fellowship times and, and all these things. 
are so important and essential for helping us find our families and regrounding our families in who God wants us to be. The early church right out of the gate was an incredibly contagious community. In 2,000 years, uh, we haven't improved on it. Instead, 2,000 years later, we're still trying to mimic as closely as possible these first 3,000 followers of Jesus and trying to share life like them. It was a community that bore witness to their faith, that wanted to find their neighbors and say, hey, come join us. Let's worship together and find Jesus together. Their coworkers, their classmates, their neighbors, they would gather them together. And as we hear, the Lord would add to the church's numbers daily those who were finding Jesus' saving and forgiving grace those who were repenting and being baptized, those who were ready to flee the brokenness of the corrupt generation they were in. And so the church was a light for their community in a time when Jerusalem needed that community and needed that light desperately. And that's who we seek to be too. So what were the components that made this a contagious community? Well, it says the first component of this is there were a community that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why the apostles' teaching? Why not the teaching of Jesus? Well, the only way that the 3,000 people could know the teaching of Jesus was through the men and women who had spent three years of their life living with them, eating with him, following him, trying to do the things he did and love the things he loved. And so classically, the church is built on the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching became the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The apostles' teaching became our New Testament, became the writings of Paul and Peter and James and John and others who sought to guide the early church community in the wisdom of God, in the word of God, in the life of God, and in the love of God. And so today, we continue to look to the scripture, to look to the Bible for that wisdom that we need, for that truth that we long for, for what we need to be healthier human beings, we believe we find in the teaching of Jesus Christ more than any other person on the planet. And so they were a community devoted to growing in their minds and hearts and lives through the teaching of the apostles. And that hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Secondly, there were a community, though, that was also committed to the fellowship of the community. That word fellowship in Greek is a word called koinonia. And koinonia, it, it's... It's more than let's just get together and have dinner together once every few months kind of fellowship. Koinonia kind of fellowship meant to be deep friendships, close relationships, people who would do life together in a connecting way, 
people who would seek Jesus together and live for Jesus together and follow Jesus for, together. And Jesus would build in us a united community that could stay on God's path. And that something would occur in this fellowship that we cannot find in other places. I was reading last night a little bit about Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a Presbyterian pastor in New York, one of the great uh, Christian lights of our day and age who died this last year. And Tim Keller said, there are, we experience the glory of God in the midst of the church in ways that we will not find it anywhere else. We experience the glory of God in the community of faith that we won't find anywhere else. This fellowship matters. What we do in Sunday school and in our connect groups and for fun and around the table matters. And it made this a deep community that was rich. It was something the world is hungry for. And then thirdly, they committed themselves and devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. A lot of scholars believe what they're talking about here is not just eating and fellowship, but it's coming together around the common table of Jesus. The table that Jesus brought his disciples around on the evening before his betrayal uh, during the Passover meal. The, the meal of Jesus reminds us of who Jesus is reminds us like Peter did the, the people of Jerusalem so long ago that, that we have a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus. The guilt for his death also rests on us, on our sin, on our brokenness, on our corruption. We cannot get away from our own guilt in that. I think of, uh, I think of the movie, the... the Oh, the one that, uh, gosh, I can't even think of his name now. Uh, Mel Gibson did, right? And in that movie, he said, I wanted to be the one that took the spikes and nailed in the spikes on Jesus' hands because I knew that it was my sin that put him there. And so at the table, we see clearly what Jesus has done for us. He died for us. He rose for us. And at the table, we find spiritual nourishment that we can't find anywhere else. In the table and in baptism, Jesus gave us two, two choices to make, two decisions about life and how we're going to live. One, that we would live with repentance and the washing of the blood of Christ. And the second, that we would be nourished at the table over and over and over again. And in this fellowship, that it binds us together as a family. Brothers and sisters, many of you have been gathering at this table for years upon years upon years. And, and in that table fellowship, acknowledging that we stand in Jesus together. And that was at the heart of the early church. And then the fourth component is that they were a people of prayer. They were a people who gathered every day in the temple courts for worship. 
at the heart of their life was not an institution. At the heart of their life was a relationship with the living God, with the God who told Moses, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground, for the God who is a jealous God, for a God who loves us and will not allow us to, to be less than but instead longs for us to be made complete and whole and perfect in his presence. And so this was not just a, not just a social club. Instead, it was a community who took roots in helping their life of prayer, their worship and of the living God go, grow deeply in uh, just enriching ways. And as they committed themselves to all these things, they found there as well that God was at work. The Holy Spirit was doing great things that both the apostles, the leaders, and the people would see God's hand at work in their lives and in their community. And we pray today that the Holy Spirit would continue to be exceedingly active in our own church life. We want people to know when they come here to worship with us that God is real and he's alive and we are trying to allow his Holy Spirit, his presence and power to flow through us and work in us. And so we look to Jesus to help us do that. And finally, lastly, the other commonality they had was they were a community who decided that life was not about keeping stuff for ourselves but life is about making sure we're willing to simplify, to be sacrificially generous so that God can do great things for all of us and God can do great things in our community and God can do great things in our world. And this sacrificial generosity made an impact. As like our church, one of the ways we make an impact is by the generosity you share for Shelley's kids and the generosity you share for our Meals on Wheels to take food to those who are hungry and our generosity for our food pantry that's outside and you can help us fund the food pantry because we have families every week coming in here looking for food for the week ahead. And all these things contribute to being a contagious community for the kingdom of God. And for 2,000 years, the church has sought to, to embrace these core qualities, these pillars of faith. And when we begin to stray from these core qualities, we begin to lose, we begin to lose something critical and important. We begin to lose some of the fellowship. Uh, our faith begins to fracture. I mean, that's one reason why, as, a, as folks, we like culture. We like to be with our own people and do our own thing. And that, what that tends to turn into is now thousands upon thousands of Christian denominations. Instead, the Lord seeks to bring us together as the body of Christ. One of the things I think where we often have fallen short and where the church has gone astray is we do at times tend to forget 
the teaching that Jesus has given us through the apostles. Two areas where I've seen that throughout history. We continue to wrestle with it today. It's a large part of our wrestling, even in the current moment, is in, I think, two areas. One is sometimes uh, we get too comfortable with God and too comfortable with Jesus. And so we tend to think less of who God is. We tend to think God has come just to love us as we are and let us stay as we are. And instead, we worship a God who, like I said, before Moses said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. I am a jealous God. You are to worship me and worship me alone. We see in Jesus a similar thing that Peter mentions clearly that God has made Jesus Lord of all life and Messiah of the kingdom of Israel. Jesus is unlike anyone else. And our life, our hope, our future must always be grounded in Jesus Christ. And so the church wrestled with this even in early days. As people would come along and say, well, we're not sure Jesus was really a human being. Or we're not sure that Jesus really rose from the dead. Or we're not sure that, uh, that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's one of many. And so the church pushed back on these types of ideas and said, no, Jesus does matter in our lives and in our faith. But then as well, not just this area, but I see a second area. And these two areas have been in tension in the church and continue to be in tension of the church. Not only do we sometimes make less of who God is or who Jesus is, but a second area where the church has fallen short very frequently has been as we make less of others around us. We make less of our neighbors around us. We see this in the, in the Acts itself. The first issue that pops up in this fledgling community of faith is an issue between uh, Jewish widows who were completely from Judea and other Jewish widows who were kind of from out of town and the other side of the tracks. And the early church begins to find out on their Meals for Wheels program that it's going well with the Jewish widows who are like really from Judea and speak, you know, Hebrew and Aramaic and all that. But the ladies who aren't, aren't Aramaic and they're not from Judea and they're not from Jerusalem, this group is being left out on the outside looking in. And so the church had to kind of get back together and say, how are we going to fix this? So the church remembered, let's find a team that can help us take care of both those who are in and those who sometimes feel left out. And you'd think, well, okay, that's it. They, they, they did well with that. They figured that out. But then they hit the same snag several years later. This time, the weird thing was, is Jewish people weren't just following Jesus. Instead, they were these Gentile folks, these folks in Turkey and these folks in Greece and these folks in Rome, they're beginning to follow Jesus too. 
And some, some of the church is coming along and saying, don't these folks have to become Jewish first before they can follow Jesus? Isn't that the right way to go about it? That's the way we've always done it. And the church had to come together and pray about it. And the church in Jerusalem's council, through the leadership of Peter and James and others, said no. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is getting a hold of these folks' lives, if the Holy Spirit is pointing them to Jesus and helping them follow Jesus, then let's just keep it simple. Let's trust the Holy Spirit to do its work. Let's include them in the church. And let's let the church know that it's not just a Jewish church, but it's a church for all the peoples of all the nations. And so the church stepped forward and did a radical thing and allowed the church to be for every human being who wanted to repent and follow Jesus. And you would think, well, okay, we've figured it out now. The church will move forward and do exactly what it's supposed to. But we didn't. We then get to the mid-ages and the church has forgotten this important teaching. And so when they hear that Jerusalem is taken over by Muslims, instead of sending a mission team down to preach like Peter and share the good news of Christ and God's forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit with these new people, instead they send an army and they send weapons and they begin a war. All because they forgot the crucial teaching of Jesus, that Jesus died for the Muslims, too. And then you would think, well, maybe we'll get it eventually. But then in 1492, as Columbus sails the ocean blue, the church steps up again and says, listen, guys, this is great. We found a new land called America. We've, we're heading down to Africa, and we're headed to India and China. And because we're the Christians and because we're the owners of Christianized civilization, let's take this to the whole world. So you're allowed to take over these territories. You're allowed to make them slaves if you want to make them slaves because everybody knows that we're the Christians and we're better than everybody else. And so we went into the world conquering for Jesus. But it didn't connect with the heart of God's love for those who are other and different. And so as the church of Jesus, um, at our best, we have to embrace all of Christ's teachings. And that's part of the tension we're living in today, isn't it? And though I don't know the future ahead for us, I, my hope, my prayer is that Conyers first, no matter where the church heads or what the church does, that we will seek to be a church that's faithful to Jesus Amen. and a church that loves all people. That's the main thing. And that these kind of qualities, these qualities of fellowship, the quality of meeting Christ in communion, the quality of prayer and worship, the quality of gracious generosity, that all these things will continue to be true of us so that we can continue to be a light for Jesus Christ in the world. And so uh, this morning, um, I want to ask you, 
can you help us be the body of Christ for the world? Can you do your part to embrace this kind of community wherever you are in the days ahead and help us be a real church for God's kingdom that he will bless for years and years to come. Um, I want to close with two stories. The first story is, I think, in the midst of this, uh, it reminds us how special uh, this table is for all of us. This has been the family table. It's the table of Jesus. And Hans Kung talks about this table in these words. He's a, a, a European theologian who said this. So much is clear. The Lord's Supper is the center of the church and of its various acts of worship. Here the church is truly itself because it is holy with its Lord. Here the church of Christ is gathered for the most intimate fellowship as sharers in a meal. In this fellowship, they draw strength for their service to the world. Because this meal is a meal of recollection and thanksgiving, the church is essentially a community which remembers and thanks. And because this meal is a meal of covenant and fellowship, the church is essentially a community which loves without ceasing. And because finally this meal is an anticipation of the meal at the end of time, the eschatological meal, the church is essentially a community which looks to the future with confidence. Essentially, therefore, the church must be a meal fellowship, a koinonia or a communion. It must be a fellowship with Christ and with Christians or it is not the church of Christ. In the Lord's Supper, it is stated with incomparable clarity that the church is the ecclesia, the congregation, the community of God. In the Lord's Supper, in fact, the church is constantly constituted anew. If the church owes to baptism the fact that it is a church and does not have to become a church through its own pious works, the church owes to the Lord's Supper the fact that it remains a church, despite any falling away or failure. From God's viewpoint, this means that while baptism is a sign of electing and justifying grace, the Lord's Supper is the sign of sustaining and perfecting grace. From the human viewpoint, it means that while baptism is above all the sign of response of faith and obedience, the Lord's Supper is a sign of the response of love and hope. Brothers and sisters, I, I've confessed uh, that in our days I, I struggle to know how to advise you, but the one thing I can advise you in is whatever happens, let's be committed to one another as the church. Um, I think of it kind of this way. On Tuesdays, a bunch of us pastors meet next door. To give you kind of an example, we have a Presbyterian pastor, Methodist pastors, Lutheran pastors, um, Pentecostal pastors, Baptist pastors, uh, African-American pastors, white pastors. And, uh, and in our group, we've got folks that are a little more conservative and traditional. We've got folks that are a little more progressive 
in certain areas. I mean, we've got kind of all kinds of folks there. And in that meeting, what I love about it is we're able to tackle hard things together. Because we're able to sit down at the table together, I can talk with Pastor Eric at Springfield Baptist or Pastor Al at, at uh, New Beginnings. I can talk with them about what does it mean to, to be a black person in America? How do they wrestle with that? What does that look like? And we can disagree on some things. We don't necessarily agree on everything, but we love wrestling together over the things that we're facing. We've talked about the sexuality issue and we've talked about other theological things. And it's a huge, huge blessing. And you know why we stay at the table together? You know why we stay at the table together? I'll give you the keys. We know that everybody at that table loves Jesus. We know that everybody at that table loves Jesus. We know that everybody at that table values the Word of God in the Old and New Testaments. We all value it. We all see it as the Word of God that speaks to us and shapes us and transforms us and our people. And then thirdly, we all love the people in this community. And we want to work together to help bring our churches and our community the best of God's light that we can. And it's been those three things that keeps us together more than anything else, more than the hard conversations that could tear us apart. And for me, that's what church is all about. It's finding our unity in the person of Jesus and saying, no, I can't agree on 100% that you agree upon and we, we don't know all the details, but I know that you love Jesus and I know I love Jesus. And so for me, that's enough. So that's my prayers for us today that as we come to this table, uh, that we come as a family, that we enjoy this time together um, that has been a blessing for generations of people here in Conyers for over 100 years. This table has been a blessing because it brings us together to Jesus Christ. You know, and the good news is, I think, is perfect people aren't the ones that come to this table, right? On the night Jesus was betrayed, you remember that story, right? Who was at the table? Judas. Judas was at the table. At the night Jesus was betrayed, who was at the table? Peter and James and John, the folks that within 12 hours would totally desert Jesus and abandon him and leave him to be nailed to a cross. It wasn't perfect people Jesus invited to the table. It wasn't being perfect that brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our need for him and his saving grace. And that's good news. That's good news, not just for us. That's good news that our community and our world is hungry for today. So will you join me and let's receive it together and offer praise to God. You can join